Last week, we began our study of the Christmas story by highlighting the reason that Luke wrote his gospel account. Luke wrote in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 that his purpose in writing was to put together an orderly account so that we might have certainty about the things that we have been taught. And then he goes on and he opens with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the announcement that they would have a son, that John was to be conceived and he would be the promised messenger sent to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And yet, as is very clear in Scripture, John was not the promised Messiah. He was simply the messenger, and therefore Luke leaves his story behind for a moment. Uh, he will go back to it in, a, in chapter 3. But he leaves behind the story of John to introduce us to the person Jesus Christ. The angel Gabriel who announced the birth or the conception of John comes to announce the birth of Jesus. And in Gabriel's announcement, we gain a sure description of who Mary's boy child would be and what he came to accomplish. Six months after his appearance to Zechariah, Gabriel returned to announce to the Virgin Mary that she will miraculously conceive and by the Holy Spirit's power, and he declares that her child, Jesus, will be great. He will be God and he will be Lord. The announcement of who Jesus is teaches us that he is the Lord most high. And this matters because we were created to honor him as king. You know, the, the first message I ever preached was on this passage. And I, I thought back to that. And I still remember being pretty terrified to speak. And yet, I was really excited to share this message of who Jesus is. Knowing that Jesus, our Lord and God, came to earth that he though he was and is and always will be God that he became a man is at the heart of the gospel message the king came to earth that we might become a part of his kingdom Jesus is the Lord most high, and he deserves to be honored as king. So let's read <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 30, and we will just set the stage for this announcement from the angel Gabriel. 
Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel, an angel from God, his messen the messenger of God, came to tell the virgin from the humble hometown of Nazareth, the Lord is with you. You're going to have a child. I don't know what comes to your mind when you read those words, but the, this is an amazing announcement when you look at the whole of the Old Testament as you read of the hope that the people looked to and now at the right time Jesus is born. You know, a lot of times we think about and we talk about the lowly and unassuming manner of Jesus' birth, and rightly so, we worship him for he came a man. He took on human form. He humbled himself not only in being born, but even as, as it says in Philippians 2, he humbled himself in death. We ought to celebrate the humble child in the manger. When I think about the announcement that Gabriel is about to make, he has a bit of a different focus than we sometimes give to the story. Gabriel came to announce the coming king. He came to announce the coming of Jesus, our Lord and God. Let's read this incredible announcement, just continuing on in verse 31 of the passage. And behold, the angel said, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So you have this announcement that you will have a son and you will call him Jesus. Which Matthew's gospel reminds us 
means the Lord, Yahweh, saves. And the angel announced that Jesus will be three things. Jesus will be great. Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High. And he will be given the throne of David and will reign forever. could sum it up by saying that God is fulfilling his promise to his servant David. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one who would make the name of David, but even more importantly, the name of the Lord God great. Now to understand this more clearly, I'd like to Go back in time a little bit to the time of King David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read that David has settled down a little bit and he's living in his nice paneled house. And he wants, as he looks around and he looks at the tabernacle, he wanted to honor the Lord by building him a great temple. The Lord doesn't discount that out of hand, but he says, well, I'm going to have your son build that temple. But he turns the tables and he says this to David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 9. He says, I will make you a great name. And in verse 12 of that chapter, God says, I will raise up your offspring after you shall come from your body, and I will establish your, his kingdom. And again, in verse 16, God promises your throne shall be established forever. Now at this point, God didn't make clear how he was going to accomplish this. But in Luke chapter 1, God not only announces Jesus is great, he announces that he will be heir to the throne of David, verse 32, and that Jesus is the one who will reign forever, the one whose kingdom will never end, verse 33. So we see in this wonderful announcement that In Jesus, God is fulfilling his promise to establish David's kingdom forever. And he's going to do it in his son who shall reign over all the earth. And we look forward to that day when he shall come again. And establish the new heavens and the new earth. Now listen, if you... Look still in Second Samuel seven. I forget which verse. I should have written it down. But David responds to God in this. With this, he's been told God God is going to make his name great, and and he says, "Your name will be magnified forever." He says, "Your name will be magnified forever," saying, "The Lord of hosts is God." God over Israel. 
And you know, David was right in more ways than he knew. Because David's promise was to be fulfilled by the Son of God Himself. In fact, Luke 1 verse 32 describes Jesus as the Son of the Most High. That is a way of saying that He is co-equal with the Father. Identified with God. This mystery that Jesus is God and yet He willingly became a man while remaining Gahad is a mystery upon which many have stumbled. It's something that is hard to, it's really not something that we can understand fully with our finite minds. And yet, it is foundational to the gospel and to the testimony of the scriptures. For if Jesus was not God and man, then there would be no perfect sacrifice for sin, nor a mediator who could stand between God and man. But we thank God as 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 testifies there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And here Jesus is specifically identified as a man. He, be, he became flesh and dwelt among us, as John chapter 1 tells us. Scripture testifies elsewhere also in Colossians 2 verse 19 that in Him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. So here we have the testimony of Scripture that Jesus is God though He became a man with flesh and blood and experienced all that it is to be human yet without sin. Philippians 2 verse 6 describes the mystery this way, and I'll just paraphrase. Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. And how did he do so? <clears throat> he did so by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of of man. Put it simply, the testimony of Scripture and of <clears throat> Luke chapter 1 is that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, would come as a child born in the line of David to rule over the whole earth. So we see that Jesus is Lord, the promised Messiah, that he is God, and thirdly, that he is great. 
And Paul will go on to say, having said that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant born in the likeness of man. And he will say in verses 9 and 10, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above uh, uh, every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ephesians 1 verse 21 says that uh, Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus' great name fulfills the promise to make David's name great. And even more importantly, the name of God is magnified. For it is to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Jesus is great for he is the Lord God. The one who came as king to fulfill the promise of David. Naturally, this is a lot of news to take in. Just now, we've hardly unpacked these things. And we have the whole of Scripture to inform us of the person of Jesus Christ and who He is, His character, His work, His offices. And so Mary asks in verse 34, How will this be since I am a virgin? A question that does not appear to have been asked in doubt but simply to understand the particulars of what must take place. This is not easy to understand. And so she asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her in verse 35. And I'll read to the end of our section this morning, verse 38. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Gabriel explains that this great miracle is to be the work of the Holy Spirit. 
He also gives the proof of Elizabeth conceiving a child as an example of the Lord's power and ability. And Mary responds by submitting to God's will and faith. The same God who guarded and guided Israel with a cloud, a pillar that was a cloud and uh, and a fire at night in the wilderness. The same God who overshadowed the tabernacle and later the temple would overshadow Mary. That same wording is used there. Would overshadow Mary. And by His power, the child would be the Holy Son of God. To the skeptic, this seems ridiculous. To the servant of God who knows his power, his glory, his promises, this is a message of certainty and hope. Are you doubting? Like Gabriel, I'd remind you that the miracle of John's conception that's offered to us here as an eyewitness testimony, God is able to do more than able to do as He says. As Christians, we acknowledge the great truth that nothing will be impossible with God. That what He promises, what He purposes shall come to pass. As Isaiah writes in Isaiah 55. We have the sure testimony of God's Word. This good news that God rules over the world that He has made and that though mankind has rebelled against God, That God the King came to earth so that we might have forgiveness by His own blood. You know, that's where this grand pronouncement is leading us to. Ultimately, Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord Most High, would die to save rebel sinners. Charles Wesley wrote this in his hymn, And can it be? He said, Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Think about that. It's a contradiction, an oxymoron, and yet it's the truth. Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? What do we do with this great mystery, this Glorious pronouncement that God will accomplish His will. He will come to save His people, to establish His kingdom. What do we do with the mystery of the King of Kings coming to live among men, born to save sinners? Well, we have a choice. Like Mary, 
we can say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me, whatever that may be. Let it be to me according to your word. We can choose to receive the Son as Lord and, and find joy in doing his will. Find joy in his presence, which is promised to those who have received the Son, that they shall know the Father. Or we can choose to walk away from the truths that are presented here, the truths that Jesus is the Lord, that He is the Most High God, that He has come as King. We can offer Him our allegiance and our worship, and there is so much to worship the Lord for and to praise Him for in this text. Or we can reject that He is the King of kings, mighty and great and awesome in power, and in doing so, face the consequences of rejecting such a King of righteousness. The choice before us is really a choice between life and death between worshiping Jesus as Lord and rejecting His authority. Which will you choose today? Choose Christ. Just think about how He is presented here. He's not just this great King, high and mighty, coming to rule. But He came that we might know Him, that we might know the Father. This great King. God above all other gods can lay down our will at His feet and worship Him. Because Jesus is Lord. And He is God and He is great. You can trust Him when times are changing. You can trust Him for in the greatest of all mysteries He came. And He loves you. And there is no good apart from the Lord. I've been thinking a lot about Psalm 16 and the psalmist wrote, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is the response that the Lord desires of us. The Lord longs for his people and for those who are far from him that they might draw near. Be able to say, Lord, you are my Lord. And the only good I have, I have because I am your servant. I want your way, oh God. Let it be as you say. Jesus is the Lord most high. And this matters because he deserves all glory and honor and praise. So let us worship Him.